Hello and welcome to Word Birds, a birds of a feather conversation amongst people that care about words today. On the show, we have Wade Coleman. Wade is the Vice President of Content Strategy at the fintech and payments giant Fiserv. We're going to be talking about delivering a content strategy that's designed to put yourself in the shoes of your customers. We're bringing content to life via live in-person events. And we're going to talk about how the best content is invisible. So let's sit back and get some insight from the fly. Hello, Wade, and welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Let's go ahead and jump right into this with the quick fire. So I'm going to say some things. I just want you to have the first thing that jumps into your head. Amazing content is? Invisible. Concise or descriptive? Depends. The company with the best brand voice is? I'm going to go with a not a well-known brand, but a small brand. So Brooklyn Tea. Okay. Best piece of content advice? Ask questions. And when I'm creating content, I always? Think about the consumer. Invisible. Let's go back to that. Tell me what you mean. I think when when you're creating content that people are consuming, that they don't know that they're consuming marketing, and that's stuff that they pass along to their friends, that they're sending to their boss to say, hey, we need to take a look at this. That's the type of content. And it's not tricky. It's not uh, something that is, uh, is underhanded. It's just truly useful to people. And so they forget that it's actually marketing. Ooh, I love that. That's fantastic. Brooklyn Tea. Tell me a little bit about why. So Brooklyn Tea is an interesting company. Um, so Pfizer, my company, uh, during the pandemic, we started a grant program for small businesses. Um, one of our big lines of businesses is the Clover point of sale system. And what we saw was is that uh, that small businesses were outsized impact by the pandemic. Um, the Walmarts were still open. Um, the Starbucks were still open, but it was the really small shops that um, that suffered. And so we started a grant program called Back to Business, um, focused primarily in the beginning on Black-owned small businesses because those communities were were outsized impact as well. And uh, one of our grant recipients was a company called Brooklyn Tea, and uh, really small shop. Uh, they had one shop in Brooklyn. They've expanded to three now, with two in Brooklyn and one in Atlanta. And what you get, I mean, what I love about them is that the brand voice is all around just a love of tea and educating people around tea. And they have a digital experience, an in-store experience that uh, is seamless. They're doing all these things that you don't traditionally think about small businesses, but they have a, a fantastic origin story that is very similar to, you know, every great brand out there. And, you know, the Coca-Cola is the, the, every company has that story that, that, you know, that you know. And to me, they they exhibit that because it's all around tea. It's I mean, it's great when your your tone of voice, your entire outreach can be around something that you actually care about, too. I mean, that's exactly have to imagine that that's that's the center of their world. And they're just all aligned around that center. Husband and wife team um, really passionate about it. And there's a community around what they built around tea. And that's what's, uh, you know, as well as their presence in the community. So, um, that to me sort of exhibits what it's all about when you're developing a, a brand voice. And a great brand is scalable. So you can grow that community just on the back of that brand. 
Exactly. Fantastic. So, Wade, you're, you're the vice president of content strategy at, at Fiserv, um, fintech company, a lot of different audiences. Um, broadly, who are you creating content for? So um, at the enterprise layer, we're creating content for, you know, for our um, merchants, so small businesses, um, as well as our um, um, large enterprise clients, so folks who are running the payments operations at, you know, the major brands uh, around the world, um, as well as financial institutions. And so, you know, um, you know, virtually every part of a financial institution from the front office to the back office. And so it's a lot of different audiences within there, but the sort of common thread through them all is sort of, you know, financing in, in commerce itself. And you've already... I think hinted at the style of the content that you create and you're creating actionable content. You're not just marketing at them. You're providing them with assistance that eventually will guide them towards you. Exactly. I mean, and I think that that, I mean, I like the idea of invisible content. I think that, you know, when you, I, I, I don't know if you know Mike Volpe, um, the, C, the original CMO at HubSpot, but we were talking one day about um, his early strategy and then building in uh, their conference, the, the, um, the big conference they have here in Boston. And he said, you know, I, I do these things with the intent of bringing people in. They may never buy my product. They might not be big enough. They might not be the right audience, but we're building this audience around us for the eventuality that we have a product to fit them. And so a lot of what they did throughout the time that he was there was around actionable content creation to be assistive, regardless of who you are. Do you find that you're able to solve problems that you don't with your content that you don't even solve as a business that eventually bring people in? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is is making sure that um, that you're developing something that you know it's not just product focused. It is really you know broader than that. Um, but it, but it's around this community and within all of those groups that I mentioned, we have communities that have very specific interests and in things that they're looking to solve. And um, and when you're developing you know the content programs to address those, you know, really looking at their needs individually within within each one of those, um, what what types of channels, where are they engaging, what's important to them, and then making sure that, you know, what you're developing around that is authentic and, and really does help them. And it, and it depends because some of the communities that we have are, are pretty small uh, or small in context. They're not broad consumer audiences, but they're, they're very interested in, you know, the inner workings of, you know, the ACH payment system. Um, and so, you know, when you're developing content that's really niche like that, it does appeal to, you know, people that are broader than just your, your current existing client base. But, you know, at the core of it, it needs to be something that's helpful in moving them forward. Absolutely. And you're in a competitive space. So assisting somebody in any way gives you a much higher percentage of possibility of bringing them back in as a, as a customer eventually. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, so with the audience, I mean, I come from a traditional enterprise B2B approach uh, where I know where to find the folks that I want to talk to. Uh, you have a much wider audience, a uh, much more diverse audience. Um, how are you how are you getting to these folks? How are you building a content strategy that allows to reach this wide space that you're reaching into? 
Yeah, so I would turn it around a little bit because part of what that is the consumer space that we work in with the, that, you know, it's more the small business audience, but is really a broad consumer. And then we do have the more the financial services and the, the enterprise payments um, part, which are very different approaches. And so um, my team focuses more on the enterprise brand for all of Fiserve, but then also uh, supporting the, the enterprise customers. And the Clover brand that we work with is, um, is very much integrated into the core of that messaging, but, um, but it is a complete, it's a consumer marketing approach. And, um, and so on the enterprise layer, one of the things that um, you know, we, we look at of targeting directly to customers is like our client event. And um, and so bringing in a, a much smaller community within um, within the broader, having them come into our event, um, it's you know uh, something where you know we're we're having them be the spokespersons. We're bringing in outside experts talking about the industry. We're having our own people there. That community then helps catapult um, the content that we're using the the rest of the year, and um, and it that is then targeted to a much broader audience outside of just that one event. So I think that's something that um, you know is important to us from an event standpoint um, mm-hmm. and an experiential and a sales process and relationships with our clients. But um, but it really helps amplify the messaging and the uh, the things that are what we find out at that event. Are, are helpful to us the rest of the year to marketing to that broad community um, that would would be out there. Oh, absolutely! It's I mean, a, a the lead up to any event is a, a hidden drain on a content organization right out of the gates. I think people don't think about that. Um, oh, we're doing a conference; it's field marketing. Um, well, kind of. It's kind of everybody, um, but there's a lot of content that's going to drive it. But it's also a huge test for what you're creating, um, the results of which help to, to guide the direction that you're going to move in as you go forward, because you're seeing consumption in real time. Um, and are you getting feedback from folks in real time? Yeah, I mean, you obviously, you know, and that's the thing I think that's changed within, um, you know, event and content marketing is that with the advent of apps and um, and other tools where you're on site, it, it both amplifies it externally, but you're also getting real-time feedback on the session, um, you know, because of the mobile app that you have there. It used to be that everybody was using Twitter and, and other apps to sort of communicate, you know, throughout the event. But now you have, you know, mobile apps that are really focused on that, which are, you know, they're troves of data for for using afterwards, but it's also giving you the the really real-time survey on what people think about what's happening there based on, you know, engagement stats and, you know, direct comments and things like that. It's great to get that kind of feedback. And I mean, so I assume you're bringing that back, you're using that, and that leads a lot of your follow-on content strategy. Um, what, what would you say are your sort of top tips for creating a well-rounded content strategy? I think, um, you know, going back to you know what is important for the audience that you're looking for really putting yourself in their shoes and then thinking about you know the broader community itself and so um, a lot of times and i i think you know anyone in marketing and anyone in this role has kind of experienced this is when you're working with stakeholders they get really locked in on i want a podcast or I want a blog, or mm-hmm. you know, it, it really is based on what they feel like is important to them. And you know, you gotta love what you're doing, but at the same time, you know, is that the right audience for who you're trying to reach? And often it's not. And um, and so helping walk people through what are we trying to to accomplish, and you know, start with the questions on that. 
who are we talking to, um, building out the content plan at that high level strategy before you hone in on the tac tactics, I think is, you know, pretty fundamental. And, and that also, then from there, you can, you can be creative, you can ideate, you can build things that, you know, people really want to consume. But, um, but if you're, if you're building it for you versus the audience, um, you know, it's not going to work. Right. And so I guess an interesting question is, um, outside of the feedback that you get from the conference, um, how are you gauging, how are you measuring impact? Or, or maybe the question is, how are you measured? Somebody in the CEOs or the C-suite looks out the window and says, how is the content organization doing? What are the key indicators um, that they're looking at to gauge whether this is working or not? Yeah, I think um, there are the base level engagement metrics that you get you know, from, from, you know, from the web and other places. And that really depends on where you are in your strategy. Um, if it's really high level enterprise thought leadership and your goal is to bring the wider community in, you're looking at those broad funnel metrics. Um, I think as you, you know, hone down in the funnel and, um, you know, how are you helping convert people? You know, what content is helping move people through the stages? And I think that's what's interesting now um, is that um, that we are able to see more of that engagement data um, further on. It's not just page views and clicks and other things, but being able to map it back through tools like, you know, account-based uh, uh, marketing and other, other things like that. We're, we're able to get more measures in there. I think um, the thing that, um, you know, is always hard with measurement, though, is making sure that, um, that you know, you are connecting it to the consumers and you still get that at, you know, the high-level engagement metrics. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is the challenge because you can do things that get you results for results' sake, but um, you also have a brand to protect. Yeah, and and I think the metrics discussion, like you, you have to have it, you have to constantly be focused on it and be talking to your leaders about it. Um, but often because you have data or you have numbers, just because you can shine a light on a specific area doesn't necessarily mean that it's moving the needle for you. And so I think that's where you've got to match the, the data that you're getting back with the critical thinking on really what is moving the needle for consumers and, and you know answer that question for your leadership. And are you looking at things, I mean, from an iteration standpoint, you're looking at results and you're going back to your strategy drawing board. Are you looking at like tone of voice and terminology and clarity levels to tweak and, and, and dial in the performance of the content? We are looking at uh, really higher level metrics in that right now. I think that's the exciting part of, you know, are we are we on tone? Are we on brand? Things like AI coming in and, and, and starting to experiment with that to make sure that we are hitting those areas. But most of what we're doing right now, we're still looking at the, the higher level metrics and then, you know, analyzing those pieces, talking about them in an editorial way, um, seeing which ones are performing well. And, you know, sometimes things that you think are just, you know, you put a lot of time in um, and you think are going to resonate with the community, then do as well as you thought they would. And then others that you just spend a little bit of time on, they take off. And so going back and looking at the measurements in that way and understanding why, was it a timing issue? Was it, um, you know, what factor, you know, within our distribution uh, strategy impacted this? Um, can we reuse it at another time? You know, I think those are the discussions that are ongoing and it can be AI assisted, it can be technology and data assisted, but, but you know, the human and that part of it um, that is looking at it with an editorial eye, understanding the audience that you're trying to reach is still important. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not so much a question, it's just a statement. It's terrible when you've 
built a piece of content that you think is perfect. Yeah. Like everything that you were looking for, it's on tone, clarity, consistency, character, all locked in. It's the message that you want. You put it out in the world and it just doesn't do anything. <laughs> but, yeah. but this is perfect. It's exactly what we designed. Ah. Hard to let your babies go. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. Um, cool. Uh, let's talk about thought leadership a little bit. I mean, how are you using thought leadership to drive your content experience for your audiences? So I think it, it's starting at, um, you know, understanding the audience, what we want to drive with them. We, we use a number of channels. I mean, it's really um, focused in on our website where we develop, uh, you know, blogs and, um, and, and other thought leadership content um, that, um, that is based on, you know, issues that are important to our clients, but, um, but things that also that map back to, you know, what we're hearing in the industry, what we're hearing from, uh, um, from our client events that we're going back, trying to stay relevant, but also making sure that um, it's not just content for engagement purposes. We do need to have, you know, it needs to be a role where we're differentiating in it. We're not just trying to bring in um, a, a broad audience. We want to make sure that, you know, we're providing, um, you know, our brand positioning around this issue and, um, and presenting it in a way that helps people move forward with it. Fantastic. And I mean, speaking of moving forward, how do you see this going forward? Where do you see Fiserv's branded content going out into the future? I think the thing that, um, that, you know, it's sort of back to the future because one of the things that happened was during the pandemic, um, we had this big pivot from, um, from, you know, our, our events and all the things that help drive content strategy around that um, and, you know, um, being able to develop blog posts and campaigns that target people that, you know, either went to our events or um, or topics that were generated from it to um, to really doing everything in a digital environment. And and that was um, that was a great learning experience for us. Um, I think that we built muscles in digital that uh, that we needed to have that um, that because we were a very relationship focused, um, you know, B two B at the enterprise level, focused on on those types of things. It made us work in different ways, but um, but we also learned how important the the experiential part was to us as well. And so now that um, you know we're back in this environment where we have live events and that we're connecting with our clients on that level. Um, it is matching what we learned during the pandemic, adding that rigor of digital um, understanding, you know, um, you know, uh, what booths people interacted with at a, at a show, how did, what things were they interested in an app? Um, what are we learning from the sessions that they did attend and, and how they rated them? Putting all that together and improving our digital presence so that, you know, we're, we're you know, looking at each stage, each channel, and, um, and marrying all of those together. I, I love that. This is the first time I've heard anybody say it. That like, We made the digital shift on March 11th of 2020 when everybody went home from work and never came back. And you're saying, yeah, that's great. We learned a bunch of things. But what worked before might, and in fact does work now, that we can go back out in the world. So it's taken the best of the last three years and then tacking that on top making it additive to the experience you had built before, which I just think is a really neat way of looking at it. Yeah, and I, and I think it's different for different companies and it's different for different markets. Um, for us, you know, the, that 
experiential relationship part is important because you know these are very long-term relationships they're they're you know um, with a financial institution that's a um, you know they look at every aspect of it there's a lot of trust there and um, and when you're working in financial services and, and money it's it's different from that perspective and so you know understanding that you know we can uh, what we lost during the pandemic during a digital event um, you know, is helpful in the early stages of that relationship and the ongoing maintenance for it, but nothing replaces face-to-face -face in those. And so it's making sure that we're building community in digital environment, but but also, um, you know, maintaining that in the real world. Fantastic. Now is the time in the show when I like to just dig into things that, that get people worked up. I It's the provocative statement of the day, or PSOTD. Um, what is your provocative statement of the day? I think AI is going to be a tremendously good thing for content marketing. Go on. And the reason that I say that, well, the reason that I say that is, is it, it's, it's, I mean, it's been fascinating to me because it goes back to, you know, uh, you know, even just this theme and literature of, you know, Frankenstein and, and, um, and Blade Runner, you know, the robots are going to take over and they're going to replace people. And what is consciousness? And if it's not created by, uh, you know, fully by a human being that, um, that it's, you know, somehow less. And, you know, when I look at AI, and when I use it, I think a lot of the debate is, um, you know, really, it's just a reflection of who we are. But the other piece of it is, is that, you know, you look at creativity, you look at content development, um, every time there's a transformative technology or a new technology, people get really afraid because it is going to be disruptive. And uh, there is going to be that, uh, um, you know, that element, the, the Luddite rebellion where people are, are you know, uh, pushing back on it. And there are legitimate issues that, that do come up with that. Um, but, but ultimately, it's about making us better. And, um, you know, did, um, you know, did Da Vinci say, oh, I'm not going to use that type of oil in my paint because this is, you know, this is not, you know, true. And, you know, of course, we're all Da Vinci's in, in marketing. Um, but but the bigger issue for me is that, it, you know, it's going to make us better. Yeah. And there there are um, there are places that they're just like the Internet, just like every disruptive technology. We're going to see um, um, misuse of it and um, and and people using it in the wrong way and um, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be something that's going to be tremendously useful to us and and I look forward uh, to it. I, and I like that attitude because I think you know sitting where I sit uh, I work at a, a software company that's involved in content governance and it would be very easy for me to be the guy in the off-ramp holding the sign that says the world is ending but that guy's crazy he might be right I mean look outside it probably <laughs> is We've got aliens now but I don't want to be that guy and I want to find ways to find the positive in this and generative AI as a solution area is super powerful, but it's just another content channel. It's another place to get something. It, it solves some problems from a velocity standpoint, but it doesn't solve all your problems and there's still a lot to do. And I think that's where this keeps the human element. I'm not concerned for content creators because there's generative AI. I think it becomes more important than ever because if we don't have people creating content, generative AI will eventually start telling its own story. And that story won't be very interesting. If, if generative AI is just generating BS, that's not going to help us. All. And I think that is the enemy in, in any content marketer's job is to really shift through that and make sure that you're you know, getting things that are on tone, on message to your audience and getting results. 
and and that's not going to come from generating a lot of material and so having the the human element involved in it is absolutely you know critical awesome wade thanks very much for being on the show look forward to getting you back in the future have a have a great rest of your day thanks for listening to word birds word birds is hosted by chris willis produced by charlotte baxter reed and brought to you by afrolinks for more information on afrolinks visit www.afrolinks.com